0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismandel.
1: Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And I'm Jennifer Waits.
0: And today uh, we're pleased to have joining us from Sitka, Alaska and KCAW Raven Radio general manager and friend of the show, Becky Myers. It's such a pleasure
2: to be here with you. Good to, to hear and see you. So as we sit
0: here in pandemic times, um, you actually have some news to share about uh, some work that you'll be able to do there as a station at KCAW.
2: Yeah, we recently were awarded a micro grant from the Brown Institute of Media Innovation, which is a collaboration between Columbia Journalism School and Stanford University's School of Engineering. We had applied for general operating support for our reporting here in rural southeast Alaska. So we were able to get this grant. It will go towards um, a sorely needed operational fund, because as I'm sure everybody who is in radio these days, commercial or non-commercial, we're looking at a pretty drastic drop in revenues around operating. So this is a huge thing for us and an interesting partnership that we're looking forward to seeing through. And this
3: is an important grant for your community there, not just your radio station, right, Becky? Because uh, there in Sitka, Alaska, your station is like a kind of a unique, it functions in a way that is a lot like a public radio station as well as a community radio station in the way that it provides news coverage to the Sitka community.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. This is a, a big uh, piece of support in a time where, you know, I think we'll have to be really mindful about how we ask for support from the community, um, given that we are a news organization that does provide a lot of public radio for the region. And and by the region, I mean, the, you know, not just Sitka, Alaska, but the almost 300 miles of coastal rural communities that we serve.
0: And many of these communities are, are somewhat isolated, correct? I mean, they're not connected by highways. People have to get, get from community to community, place to place, pretty much by boat or by plane, right?
2: That's correct, yeah. None of us are actually connected by road at all. They're, we usually get around by ferries. Um, a part of the the difficulty that's sort of snowballing around here is that our ferry system has been operationally not functional for the past few months. Um, the governor had cut the budget to the ferry system in July, and they had cut back service to many of the communities, some almost entirely, since November. And now we're looking at a continuation of that lack of service. There are a lot of different reasons for it, but Whoa. yeah. So, so that's
3: an that's an emergency in and of itself. Prior to this uh, global pandemic emergency yes. And the financial collapse of you know the stock market. Um, how how is your community? You have you're in a new, unique situation because you're an isolated island community. You're mentioning also all of the other isolated communities that you serve. You have a a large number of listeners, but uh, there's not a lot of um, there's not going to be a lot of uh, interaction between them physically. So mm-hmm. what's what is the latest in Sitka, Alaska, with uh, COVID nineteen?
2: Well, um, right now we have no confirmed cases of COVID nineteen in Sitka. Um, we do have some cases. I think there are nine to thirteen. I don't remember off the top of my head in Ketchikan, and then there were two confirmed cases in Juneau recently. Um, our one uh, one death in relation to COVID-19 was a Petersburg man but he had passed away after a long um uh, a long time in Seattle Washington so but uh, per the CDC's rules you know your you know uh state of origination is the one that gets the quote credit
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and then sir so, are you're, yeah. you're
3: running a radio station in Sitka Alaska what are your how are you planning for what could be of um you know, a very unique emergency for your community if, if the pandemic does hit your, you know, the people where you, where you live, um, (laughs) what kind of, I mean, what kind of challenges are you facing?
2: Well, there's sort of a lot. Um, I'm a part of the local emergency planning commission. I was appointed by the city assembly, and I have served on that for the whole time I've been here. And prior to um, a number of the governor's orders, I I would say that our state government started really putting down mandates and orders and um, policy, maybe... um, the week of the 13th or so for us um, though. I was in a workshop with the department of Homeland security and emergency management uh, on the sixth, like for that week. And it- there was a point where the the energy shifted in the room from, hey, we're teaching everybody how to put together their emergency response plans for all of these isolated communities. They brought everybody in to learn this. And then midway through, everybody kind of came out, um, you know, the sheriff, the state sheriff, the um, directors that are a part of the Health and Human Services Department and our local fire chief, who is the head of the Emergency Operation Command, they all started disappearing for hours at a time. And mm. um, going on these uh, long video conferences with uh, Dr. Anna Zink and the governor, who um, have been sort of in the forefront of our response as a state. So by that point, that's when people started kind of getting worried and talking about it on a staff level and at that point you know i said hey you know at the any staff point, level at at, at, at KCAW, Radio. yeah mm-hmm. yeah cuz it, it it started coming to people's awareness about that time and folks were like well what what are we going to do You know, we have a number of folks that have uh, families or they take care of um, elders. And so they wanted to know what, you know, what my policy would be around that. And I've since the beginning given people the option to work from home. We have the technology to do that. But folks stuck around. and, And like I would say last week, we finalized our continuity of operations plan, which is it's pretty complicated. I didn't want to go right into remote operations and cutting out all of the normalcy in our station right away because we we still don't have confirmed cases of it in our community. But I also didn't want to burn everybody out right away because mm-hmm. I think at this point, it's clear to me that it's going to be a long-term thing that we're settling into. So the continuity of operations plan, it in increased the amount of sanitization that we've been doing. So we've been for weeks wiping everything down. Um for those who are listening to me, I'm talking through a microphone that's covered with a tissue and a rubber band and we've gone through so much <laughs> of those supplies. <laughs> and and people are wearing gloves and so during staff hours now, we'd have a limitation of people that are in the the studio. We're able to maintain safe distance but only for a few people. So right now there's somebody upstairs ensuring that the operations are they continue so they're there in case automation doesn't fire or if something doesn't come through the satellite. And then we have one of our newsroom folks upstairs d- using the news recording studio in order to continue our breaking coverage. Because since that week, since the 6th, I would say that we've been in continuous breaking news mode here in Sitka.
1: And so. We're recording this on March 27th. So you're you're talking about the past three weeks or so. That's just correct. Just to clarify. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So and there have been a lot of things that we, you know, you would think in a community of 9,000 people that, you know, well, it can't be constantly evolving in, in such a rapid pace. But, but it does because here it, it's hard to understate the, um, the fragility of life here. Like, mm-hmm. quite honestly, there we have a hospital. We're one of the lucky ones here with the, the hub status that we have. And that hospital has under 30 ICU beds available. And that's a benefit. There are many communities that have itinerant nurses that visit maybe on a monthly basis who maybe have emergency service personnel. So folks that can do triage, but they basically just get people ready for medevac. And so there's that part, but also the part where I mentioned the ferry system has been relatively non-operational. Our food supply chain is very, very fragile. And, you know, one of the things that I illustrated for the Brown Institute was we had a rumor go through our community, I would say, around the 12th or so. And that rumor caused everybody to run to every grocery store and buy everything. Right.
0: I was going to ask you about the supply situation because I know that can be tenuous even in the best of times. Where, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, in a lower 48, folks have definitely been tracking how uh, stores are sold out of all sorts of everyday items, toilet paper being the sort of at this point, even the canonical one, but all sorts of things, um, you know. And, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and what was flour, this rumor? Baking the, flour. Yeah, what was this rumor that went through? Was it to, to, that that there was going to be a run on things or the supply chain would be cut off or something mm-hmm. like
2: that? It it was about the supply chain getting cut off. There was a rumor that the Port of Seattle was going to pr- uh, prohibit the continuation of barge traffic. Now, mm. I that was sort of uh it was a modification from what um is true, which is that the cruise ships will not be operating out of the port of Seattle right. for a time, but Jeez, then they- that would be the main that
3: would be the main risk for your your community, I would imagine is is cruise ships visiting uh, I, I at first, I was thinking, oh good, because Alaska and Sitka is very isolated, and that is um a a weakness sometimes, but really a strength in this case where social distancing is so important. but um I had completely forgotten about how popular of a
2: destination. Alaska is for cruise ships-hmm and that that traffic has been postponed very extensively. I don't think I think our first 70 port calls have been cancelled for the year and so a, a, a part of it is that you know we do have you know a maintenance of this isolation but a large portion of our economy is funded yeah. by that yeah mm-hmm. so a significant hit to
3: to the to the money coming into your
2: community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then the idea that the barges were not rolling in, which is absolutely false. All of the the people, Alaska Marine Line, Samson Barge and Tug, everybody has stated over and over, nothing has changed about their, their schedules and their operation. But on this day, that caused all of these people to go to the grocery stores and wipe them out. And then for a period of days, we had... Very little in terms of food and supplies here on the island. And mm-hmm. so I, we're, but we're the lucky ones, I have to say, because we, we still have barges coming in. Imagine if you were, say, in Tenneke Springs, where your food and freight is totally dependent on the ferry system in order to get there, or flights from the seaplanes, which are also reduced. So, Becky Meyer, uh, general
3: manager at the radio station Raven Radio in Sitco, Alaska, what has been – how have you dealt with this situation um, where there was uh, essentially um, a, a panic on March 13th? Um, what are you doing on the radio to help? So
2: what what we were doing, we, we rushed in order to get information from the grocery stores. So they, they have a line specifically – on their supply chain, we were able to talk with them and get the the scoop essentially verified by the people providing the supplies. So we, we produced new, news coverage, but at that point, it was kind of too late. The rush had started around 3.30. We went on the air around 5 in order to give information. And so for a period of days, it was sort of tenuous. And, and to me, you know, it wasn't necessarily life-threatening. We were going to get more supplies in a matter of days. That that was for sure. But but imagine that that wasn't coming. and. Right how often do you have you know a period of time where you would not be able to get food
3: right but the, and there's no way for us to know uh, what would have happened if if your radio station hadn't done the socially responsible thing of reporting the facts that um that the that the panic was founded on a rumor not on a fact mm-hmm. um but i have to imagine that you did a lot of good especially for people maybe who didn't have the opportunity to run out and buy food but at least they could hear on their radio there will be food. Yeah,
0: there time. is. There is a psychological <laughs> effect right there, where yeah. it, it, where it's if. If you know, I arrived at the grocery store too late, ostensibly, and I and I worry that well, now am I am I out of luck for an extended period of time to have that my fears assuage at least somewhat through some better information? I can see how that that can be critical, um, you know, in as much as also helping to reduce people's demand of of needing to feel like they need to go out and and also uh, stock up lest there be nothing left for them.
3: Yeah. Maybe we can – I would like to talk a little bit just one more time, Becky Meyer, about – because that's a really important um, concrete example of something we've been talking about on previous episodes of Radio Survivor during this emergency is your radio station there in your community was able to grab a hold of the real facts that people needed to know in real time. Or you were saying you were two hours late, but I'm I'm saying that you did – the best you could and it was good that you did it so tell us about that tell us about how you um uh and then and then moving. well how did you know
0: i mean what 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 triggered it like what what made you spring into action basically
2: well well people uh, it's a small town so everybody's texting one another like oh my god it's mayhem at the grocery store and then getting numbers of those reports from folks it triggered us to go and talk to the grocery stores and check in with our barge companies because part of it is the grocery stores have their idea around what is happening, but we needed to confirm that information. And and that has been the big theme around our coverage is making sure that we're doing our, our literal mission, which is to provide reliable public information through our reporting. And in and, and going above and beyond that as well, we have been working hand in hand with our public health officials, with the regional health consortium, with the emergency operations, with the city, in order to get information out that is true and factual. And then people come to us to tell us about, you know, whether or not their store is closing, what's the food distribution schedule for the school district, because while they're closed, they still need to provide food to folks that have financial need. And how do we get the information out about that? So we, we sprung into uh, action I, from, I would say, I started on the 12th collating all of the closures and cancellations. And then we turned that spreadsheet into a web page. And that's been up on our website since With an exhaustive list of everything that's open or closed or have modified service hours. So, yeah, we have PSAs running from the health department, from our legislative information office, because while all of this is still happening, the gears of state government are still turning and people need to be able to talk to their civic leaders. And so how how has that changed everything? We let people know how to call in, how to get in touch with their their policymakers. So we, we've been at the central nexus of communicating emergency and you know, other all the other information, everything, and we haven't turned anybody away, whether or not, you know, they have a private business, and we're just modifying the way that they serve their audience or their their customers, We we accepted that as well to let everybody know what Mm -hmm. is open and what's not and to provide an up to date place where you can get that information that gets updated at least four to five times a day.
0: Are are you getting a lot of calls from listeners and from community members, also sort of inquiring about what's going on? Are you getting like inquiries, or, or or is it? Are you finding that that what you're doing on air and what you're doing able to do online is sort of fulfilling that need?
2: Well, we we get news tips, and the news tips are generally rumors, and or mm-hmm. they they surround kind of instances that can't be proven at this point. We last week ran a. a we had somebody who had traveled to New York her mom had tested positive for COVID-19 and she learned about it as she when she came back before quarantining herself so she had been in the community wanted to remain anonymous but share you know how she couldn't have known that she was exposed to it that she was going about her day and the kind of guilt and the other issues that might prevent somebody from self reporting if they had been exposed to the virus ultimately we we ended up finding out that she tested negative, but we wanted to share her anonymous you know story so that folks could understand like oh yeah it, it is kind of a guilt ridden thing it's a difficult mm-hmm. you know kind of situation, and how do I identify if i'm a, a risk?" for the people around me. And now we're getting calls all the time. Like, Oh, well my boyfriend's sister, you know, visited Oregon and like all of this. And, you know, I think they got a test, but we're not following up on every single one of those. So those are the kind of news tips that we're getting in is uh, a lot of like, well, I hear So, and so did so, and so, and now we think they need to be tested and we're, we're not here to stoke the fires of panic, because that that can so easily happen here. We're here to provide factual and real information that gets verified. But you may have opened up a conduit
0: there, it sounds like. Jennifer?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm just curious, like, on a broader view, what are the current restrictions within Sitka? What it, it sounds like, I think I saw that you have a hunker down order, which was a new term to me.
2: Mm-hmm. So um, the governor has passed mandates for all restaurants, bars and entertainment, direct service type things to basically shut down unless they can provide delivery or pickup services. Hunkering down yeah, here, it, it's such an interesting thing, but it's essentially shelter in place and minimize even the amount of time that you go out to get groceries or go to the pharmacy. Um and we have a bunch of exemptions. Uh, I'm one of them as a broadcaster, but emergency service folks, folks that are providing food that are at the grocery stores. Um, there, there's a pretty big list that we list on our website, kcaw.org. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a travel restriction. The the state has mandated that if you have traveled at all and any amount of time if you're returning to sitka you need to go into quarantine for 14 days and that has a penalty of $25,000 fine or i think there may be jail time as well but people are taking it really seriously up here and i think for good reason if we look at the history of say the spanish flu in alaska it infiltrated all of the villages to an incredibly catastrophic degree and i know that our government officials here and health providers are are very concerned about making sure that that the contagion doesn't spread to places that may not have any any health anything in their community that's the voice of Becky Myers, general manager of KCAW
3: Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska. The Spanish flu that you were referring to, Becky, right, is the that was like 1918 mm-hmm. time period. So there's still a, a, a legitimate historical memory of what what a global pandemic can do to the small communities in Alaska.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: I'm curious. Um, we've been we've been thinking a lot about how listenership might be changing in light of the global pandemic. And are you getting a sense that people are listening to your station more or in different sorts of ways? I'm curious about that.
2: So, we have a sense a little bit about that i I know whenever we go off the air or something wrong happens, like automation just it we have a new system here. we just implemented it by the time all this started to happen, and so we're learning how to program things in, and when something messes up, we get tons of calls like we We know that people are on it all the time because of the way that they interact with it when something's wrong. But also, um, we, we're we on an island where there's 14 miles of road, and so people can't be in cars for very long. But they are all listening on the radio or streaming in their homes, for sure, here in Sitka. I know that there are a lot of people listening in our, our listening communities, um, you know, where, where the signal is, you know, viable. Sometimes it's not, because thanks, satellites. But... Um, yeah the sense I'm getting is that people, because of quarantine and being hunkered down, are listening to Raven Radio for updates on a pretty obsessive basis mm-hmm. and our our hub, you know again, we only have about nine thousand people here um we had as of last week six thousand almost seven thousand people have accessed that unique. Wow. Yeah, unique visitors on that particular page since last week. And I imagine that number has gone up substantially.
1: And are you getting requests for particular types of programming or content? Are people asking you, I really want more information about this particular question I have or topic area?
2: Well, that, that's an interesting question because, you know, we are also an NPR affiliate and we've been carrying the White House pressers that I think everybody has been thinking about recently because there's been a lot of censure around them being inaccurate And with the president relaying bad information, I know that um, he had some kind of like medication recommendation that has killed people so far. So we've gotten a lot of, well, not a lot, I would say a handful of complaints from people saying that they no longer want those press conferences carried on the radio at all. And it's, it's a difficult position for us because part of it is that We assess everything on a daily basis to see if it's a viable thing to carry. But how do you balance your civic duty to bear witness to this kind of news with the need to provide reliable information? It's a tricky situation.
1: Yeah, you know, I've noticed that even in San Francisco, sometimes you might have simultaneous press conferences from your mayor and your governor and the president. So how do you make that decision as to which is the most important press conference to carry? Mhm.
3: And k I mean K I, I love calling it k Raven <laughs> Radio is um with the call letters KCAW. Um it's a it's a very important um the its status in your community as as one of the only uh news organizations is makes it different than other cities where where radio stations are of your size might have a different role to play in the landscape of the media.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's difficult for us when we know that there is a variety of community needs and that we serve a variety of community needs to make a decision for our listeners in that way. It, it, it's not easy to do, and we struggle with it, but we, we look at it every day to make that decision. But because you are the only radio station? Uh, community no, we public? we're... We're the only public radio station. We're the only broadcast news in our whole area. And we are um, one of four radio stations here in Sitka. But in our listening communities, we are the only anything. Yeah. And when you say broadcast,
3: you're talking there is no television news in your community.
2: Yeah, not not any sort of locally originated news. Um, We do have a daily newspaper, but they've scaled back their operation as well. They're no longer delivering home newspapers anymore. They have closed their doors. And while they've opened up their online portal for folks to be able to access things freely, and you can get a paper from where you would get a paper if you went out for free, mm-hmm. but for somebody who's quarantined, that's impossible. So we, we're we're kind of ever constantly making sure that enough information gets out that's on both our spectrum and digital channels.
1: And how do you balance, like you mentioned that you're carrying... Public radio programming from NPR. How do you balance that with the local information? And do you have the ability to preempt things if there's something happening locally that you think is more important?
2: We do have the ability to preempt anything if we want to. Um, we, we just make these decisions on a daily basis. But if there's something that needs to be covered live at the city hall with our local government putting out another order or something, we've, we have made the decision to go to cover that live with a reporter doing an analysis and breakdown as well. Um We have cut back our volunteer programming pretty substantially, especially during the time that staff are in the building because it 's my aim not to have more than two people in the building at any given time. We do have volunteers with the understanding and checking in on them about wiping everything down and taking good care of the space and that this is a privilege that will be unfortunately ended if we do have a confirmed case in Sitka. We will be changing the door codes and locks. So that that but that's something we've communicated to everybody. Every step of the way, we, our continuity of operations plan has been sent out to everybody, the board, the volunteers, the staff work together to create it. We wanted it to be, you know not just us making unilateral decisions, but our community since they this is their station, this is their space. Right. We, and when you say everybody, Becky Myers, you are
3: you're referring to everyone in your radio, Uh, In the inside of the building radio community, as opposed to everybody on the outside in the listening community.
2: Right. Yeah, we we didn't. It's it's an intense plan. It's several pages long. It has a number of contingencies, and and how we roll back is something that we're still working on. So, you know, the the situation is so fluid, we've had to pivot pretty extensively even now. But we have a guideline that gives us at least a an understanding of where our capacities are and how to make it so it's possible that you continue rolling, twenty four hour a day station that provides local news in a really meaningful way without burning out one or two people.
1: And when did you come up with that plan initially? Is it something that you modified? Did you previously have a plan in case of emergency that you modified? Or is this a brand new plan that you created as the COVID-19 crisis Mm -hmm. emerged?
2: it it it's a brand new plan. We do have emergency contingency plans in place but for things like landslides or active shooters in the harbor or tsunamis, things that happen have a more we have had those things happen. And so we have an ability to broadcast from um a shelter if there's an evacuation that's necessary. But this is a prolonged an uncertain kind of thing where we still have access to our building and our broadcasting utilities, but we have to m- minimize the amount of contacts and contamination that can happen. And so that's been the, the challenge and why we rewrote it. But luckily, um, public media is pretty amazing. I am I'm truly impressed by the amount of information and the flow of information that's come from all of our colleagues at PRPD, the public radio production directors, I don't know what that means. At I think it's moment. public
0: radio program directors, yeah.
2: Okay. And, and the NFCB, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, everybody has been sharing everything. So from their continuity of operations plans to how to redo fundraisers to sharing content even that has been an incredible showing of solidarity across non-commercial broadcasters. And we definitely were informed by that.
0: And that is the voice of Becky Myers, general manager of community radio station and public radio station, KCAW in Sitka, Alaska friend of the show. Becky's been on a number of times before we did kind of, uh, you told us all about uh, the unique position of uh, KCAW there in Sitka uh, about almost a year ago. And so uh, folks yeah. may want to go back and, and listen to that episode. We'll have it in our show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Of course, this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul rees and also with me here is Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits. And, you know, we're talking about how, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic is affecting stations in all these different places. And, you know, as you've heard over the last half hour or so, you know, SICA is special and Southeast Alaska is special because communities are much more isolated than even many rural communities here in, in the lower 48 and therefore rely a lot on communication like radio, which is durable and does in fact outlive uh, in many ways uh, can be a power outage or loss of internet and things and things like that. And so, and so Becky, I want to ask you if you've seen any changes. I don't know if you monitor this your your internet streams, right? Because I'm sure there's some some segment of your audience that does rely on your internet stream at least at times. Are do you seeing more demand? Are you getting any feedback about that?
2: Um, I it looks like we have a pretty. We do have an increase. Where it comes from, though, is from the lower 48. We've seen huh. a lot more people trying to connect with their families in this way. They are monitoring what's happening here. So in case, you know, you have somebody in Angoon, you know, a family member, you can't necessarily get in touch with them all the time. But if you listen to the public radio station, you can understand that either like they're under emergency orders or, or what's happening because we, we also report on our listening communities outside of Sitka. So that that's where I've seen the increase in traffic. Um, otherwise it looks the same when it comes to things mm-hmm. happening here. Um, people are streaming in Southeast Alaska. The internet is not bad everywhere, but it's also uh, highly variable in Port Alexander. You don't have as much continuous streaming access and so you rely on the spectrum. And that that's the case in a lot of our communities.
0: And by the spectrum, you definitely mean your, your terrestrial broadcast, and yes. and and for folks, you know, in the lower forty-eight, may not realize that that many of these communities do not have cell service. So folks who who do have, they may have landlines in many cases, they may have home internet service. uh, But again, uh, you know, folks access to internet in particular can be in some of the smaller, more remote communities uh, be very tenuous. And that's why it sounds like folks uh, who have family in in the lower 48, those, those folks in the lower 48 are are wanting to tune in and definitely be able to uh, hear uh, directly from folks on the ground there in Sitka and Southeast Alaska. Um, It's great. And, And I think that's something we, we often don't always think about that function of of internet radio, the internet side of things, in that it does continue to connect up people who have ties to a community but aren't in that community, and you know whether that in listening in whether it's you know it can be at times more nostalgia or it can be just you know you, you there are things you enjoyed, but being able to get that information you know direct and live from the community of Sika could be a great aid or a great salve for somebody who is worried about a relative uh, many, many thousands away. And that I'm sure is true for uh, folks across the country and across the world, um, you know, tuning into internet radio. And, And when definitely, I know that, you know, as of right now, I'm hearing, in the industry, that uh, overall it seems like internet radio listening across around the world is going up right now. Um, there's some sense that that terrestrial listening is going down. Uh, we're still getting some of those numbers because, uh, especially you know, for much of of the United States in general, uh, people aren't commuting, <laughs> and, and and the right. car is really the one of the the, the uh, primary sites of AM/FM listening in much the, in much of the, the, the best country. radio.
3: The best radio that most Americans own, hands down, is going to be inside of their vehicle just by default. And most of the radios that they have in their homes, unless they're already some kind of um, radio enthusiast, are not going to have the kind of quality that you need to enjoy listening.
2: Yeah, I think what what is the statistic? It's, It's about half of like terrestrial radio listening is done in a vehicle. It's something like that, I think, across the board in day parts. But we should
3: let some listeners know who might not be as enthusiastic about radio technology as we are at Radio Survivor, that actually all it takes is um, an expensive radio in your home or a decent antenna in your home, and you can have that quality radio experience. Um, it's just not something that's in style in the second decade of the 21st century, but it's still uh, entirely attainable. If uh, if you want to hear a station that you can hear in your car inside of your home, actually we, um, we at Radio Survivor, we did a very special episode all about that, and uh, we'll have to, I'll have to do my research and locate it for the show notes today. Um, just a lot of good antenna advice from an expert on radios.
0: But even frankly, I mean, you you don't necessarily have to have an expensive or sophisticated receiver, especially if you live in in a in a in a metropolitan area. Um, it's very likely there's quite a few stations that you can receive very easily. Um, low power FM stations may be the challenge because they are low power, and many low power FM stations rely a lot on their internet streams to really reach a large portion of their audience. Um, but it, it's you know, and 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 I think that's why it's also important for. Uh, those stations to invest in their internet presence, in addition to their on-air presence. It's it, to me, it's interesting to to watch this fascinating mix, right? And so, to, and to hear you, Becky, uh, say how you know Raven Radio's internet, you know, streams are relatively static because it seems like folks have been relying on you a long time. Folks have radios, maybe more so by percentage, mm-hmm. we might guess, in Southeast Alaska, especially in their homes. But that, right, that you, that you have folks who want to know what's going on from outside of the community where they clearly cannot uh, tune in in the terrestrial airways.
3: We also, we also have to guess that Becky Meyer's uh, audience there at Raven Radio um, is probably just maxed out, right? Like everybody <laughs> is already listening who, who might want to be listening tomorrow. They were already listening yesterday, which is what makes your uh, radio community so unique. Um, it's different, right, in a bigger city.
2: It is. It's different, and and the links that people go to in order to listen to the radio mm. is a, a thing that's true as well. Like I, I met a gentleman this past summer who, you know, lived seven miles outside of town. He still could get the radio signal, and this wasn't even in Sitka. This is in Tanekee Springs, and this guy, he you know, took us on his skiff. To his house in three feet seas, which is uh, an adventure in of itself, by the way, it takes us to his tree house where he has a yagi antenna bolted onto a tree, and he turns on the generator in order to listen to Raven Radio when he wants to listen to it. Wow! Because otherwise, he's just off the grid entirely.
0: Yeah, and a yagi antenna is a highly directional antenna. It's one that you can kind of point in a direction, mm-hmm. unlike you're just yep. sort of your, your, the stick antenna that might be in your uh, conventional radio. A receiver so he is yeah he's got one station in mind and he's gonna bring it in he's gonna listen to
2: us <laughs> and
3: for us for us landlocked people three foot seas doesn't mean that the, the bottom of the sea is three feet under your boat <laughs> it means that there are three foot waves that you're riding
2: right up up above the sea <laughs> <laughs> becky, where it's like a hammer
1: <laughs> becky you've been talking a lot about some of the important news and information that you've been sharing with your listeners and I know that uh, there are also a lot of people at this point who are looking for a break from that. So I'm curious if, if you're doing any more lighter fare or fun content or creative ideas uh, for, for people who are looking for that on the radio as well.
2: Well, when outside of the staff hours, we still are maintaining our community programming. And so folks do have the ability to tune in and listen to programmers who are, you know, volunteering their time come in because of the love and passion of it. We Our news coverage, we try even in the times of COVID-19 to balance it with, you know, the heavy, hard-hitting stuff and the information that people need. And a story about how smaller, like small families with little kids, how are they, you know, dealing with this issue in creative, awesome ways. We're going to have a story, actually, no, a story played today about a bartender in town who had created a virtual bartender Facebook live stream. So he's at the bar. (laughs) You can see the stuffed jackalope in back of him. And he just walks into the frame like, oh, what can I get you? Okay, great, and walks out of the frame and comes back a minute later with your beer. (laughs) That's awesome. And then wait, and is that person that individual bartender? Is are they listening to you
3: individually? No.
1: Well,
2: I we 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 we, um, interviewed him, so we we have you know like the people are chatting to him maybe on
0: Facebook Live. I guess right. Yes, you could chat back.
3: I want to yes. I want to pay a bartender 10 dollars just to listen to me talk, right? <laughs> while I drink my own drink that I bought, you know, the last time I went to a grocery store. We, you know, um we here in, in our community are uh practicing extreme uh our, the social distancing was was weeks ago. We're now in the um in the uh shelter in place phase. Mm-hmm. Uh at least for us. I I know that it's possible that outside of um the states of Oregon and California, uh and New York City, there's a whole, there's a spectrum of, of how people are dealing with this. So I, I shouldn't assume that people understand just how badly I would, um, just how high the market value is for <laughs> eye contact from someone who will listen to my story while I, while I drink a drink. Um, I'd pay highly. We'll have to have a link to that story in the show notes because I can't wait to listen to it. Becky right,
2: Myers. It, it it is on our our website. We have a COVID nineteen info hub, and so that story is linked along with the. There's this whole teddy bear hunt scenario going on as well. People are hiding or putting uh, teddy bears in, like, disparate places, and kids are encouraged to find and note where the teddy bears are, and then people just talk amongst themselves, like, oh, did you find the bear at on Lake Street? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. It was in the tree. And And people are finding creative ways to... Can continue to connect as a community because it, here in Sitka, the social distancing piece and the hunkering down piece has been very, very hard. This is how we mm-hmm. get through the horrific winter weather, <laughs> which, uh, by the way, we had like 48 continuous days of storms this winter. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. So people really leaned in on their community connections. And then as the spring is coming up, then having to stay their distance has been a challenge. But there are all sorts of awesome creative community ways that folks have found out how to do. They've, they've created these things, and, and we report on them. So it's not always a bummer here on Raven Radio. We, we like to connect our human community with their humanity, too. Right. Um, how about call-ins to your radio program? How are they... How are they
3: are they available these days? Are there call-in shows?
2: Well, we, we just launched a Talk of Southeast Alaska show, and we had our um, our program this Wednesday, so a couple days ago. We invited the public health nurse in and maintained our, our safe distance, for sure, and then had um, other folks call in to talk about resources that were available to our community throughout the listening audience, so not just in Sitka, but in other communities as well. And um, yeah, I mean participation there is is good. We're still a little well, aka me. I'm a little rusty on connecting phone calls effectively on the air. So often I'm hanging up on people, but I'm learning. I'm learning.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing. So you're doing um, a highly informative public service. You know, news talk radio with Collins. Um, I would like to take this moment on the microphone again to advocate for. A form of community radio where um, the phones are opened uh, just for people to share, especially in these weirdo times. It's really nice to to get the chance to talk to your community just to say hi, right? In a weird way, these radio stations are available to us, um, especially if we don't abuse the privilege and just, uh, you know, freak everyone out and give bad advice about what home remedies to take, but just Mm -hmm. to share, like, I've been at home and there's this bird's nest outside of my window, like... That kind of sharing uh, in these kinds of uh, strange global moments, I think, is what community radio is—is is really uh, is the superpower of of these radio stations.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I also like um, in in San Francisco. I've noticed that broadcasters are being humanized in a whole different way, especially on TV with people working from home. So, I've been enjoying seeing my local news anchors and reporters looking and seeing what their den looks like, where they're reporting the news from. And and this morning, somebody was reporting on a story, and then you heard a bang and a kid crying, and her daughter had just busted into the room while she was on the TV station. So I think that also humanizes the whole experience, I think, for everybody, that, that people on the radio and on the TV are also... Working from home with kids and other family members, and with technology that they don't understand quite yet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you mentioned, Becky, that you're hanging up on people
2: sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so,
0: so Becky Myers, you know, you're the general manager of KCAW. You have a small staff there, right? Um, you, yes. You, how many How many folks uh, actually work for the station as uh, paid p- as paid personnel?
2: We have five full-time staff, and then we have a rotating cast of morning edition hosts. And uh, we have a postgraduate winter fellow for journalism that's here as well that on a stipend. But yeah, about five people work full-time here. And we have maybe f- five other people working part-time. And I want to ask, so how are you doing?
0: How are you doing? Because this, frankly, it sounds like you've... Uh, not had any time off. I mean, from all, everything that's gone on, from you know working with the emergency uh, commission and and being there, and and it sounds as though probably your 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 news people and, and, and your your other colleagues there sounds like you've really been putting in the hours. H- how how yeah. are you taking care of yourselves?
2: Well, I, one of my priorities, I mean, there were two big things that came out. One was to make sure that we were providing news in a way that was meaningful for folks that was informative and reliable. The other part was to make sure we didn't burn out right away because that mm-hmm. could be very easily. We lock the doors and it's just staff doing things. And I didn't see... How that would be sustainable. So, I mean, for me personally, I have to lead by example. And so, what I'm doing is, I'm I started running again. I've stopped drinking alcohol entirely. I have a very set bedtime, and I make sure to connect with my resources that I need for my mental health. So, Mm -hmm. journaling or being okay with. Being present with my feelings, which are sometimes super high strung because you're all stressed out and I am Mm -hmm. stressed out, you know, even just operating a station. So in a time of turmoil and difficulty, it just it ramps up. And so I'm taking really concrete measures and setting up a schedule so that I also have that normalcy when everything is sort of not normal. Right. (laughs) So I'm doing pretty good, actually. Um, And also the fact that we can only, I mean, my policy, keeping only a couple people in the building at any given time means some people need to come in in order to get their work done. So right now I'm cycling out with the program director Uh, and then we'll cycle out with the development director. And the newsroom has, I mean, I wanted them to have as much autonomy and space to operate as they needed to. And so they're not on coverage in that way. They're doing their work, and we're making sure that the radio station stays on.
3: And, uh, Paul, you just asked Becky Myers to tell you about the paid staff at, at Raven Radio. Becky, tell us about your volunteer. How many volunteer uh, workers and community members are there, and how are you helping them do their jobs?
2: So uh, we, we have a lot of community volunteers, and we, um, I think we have about 70 people who cycle through on-air shifts Normally, um, we again we've stopped volunteer programming during the day part. So from nine to five, when staff are in the building, just so that we can reduce the amount of contacts that somebody might have, um, we don't have volunteer programming. So what, what are you do. what are
0: you playing then? Are you keeping an NPR feed? Are you playing archive programming?
2: We're we're playing a, a combination of different things. We found um, a affinity kind of programming for what would have been in that slot. So if we had a folk program by a volunteer, we've replaced it with a folk program from PRX. Mm-hmm. Or we normally do have quite a few hours dedicated to BBC and NPR programming. So in, in from nine to five, I would say we only have about four hours of programming to deal with outside of syndication, mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't a huge lift. But we tried our we tried to be intentional about how we replaced um, live programming with something that um, sounded similar. So we have a, a gentleman that comes in; he's Clinkett, and he has a show called Indigenous and Other Expressions, and we've put Indigify in its place, which is a great native voice one, aquatic um, uh, pro- broadcasting program. So it's something that. Um, that fit that bill. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's still, you know, at least is exposing people to the humongous, beautiful and wide universe of indigenous music.
0: Right. And have you heard from your audience with regard to the, the change in programming? Or have you been explaining it on air?
2: We explain it on air so that we're letting people know we do sound different. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is because we're reducing the potential of Raven Radio being the vector of the, the pandemic. So I think a lot of people have accepted it. I mean, generally... Raven Radio listeners have been so forgiving for our technical difficulties and and things that are happening. And so I think for now, everybody is understanding of the position that we're in and knowing that we're trying to keep it as local as we can for as long as possible. But there will be a time where we would have to stop that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then roll it back. And then how are those programmers feeling? Because I know I know there are a lot of people who that's sort of their therapy every week and their creative outlet is to be on the air. Mm-hmm. So how are they handling not being on the air?
2: Well, you know, in different ways. Our folk, There's a, the person that comes on uh, from 10 to noon and he has a show called Trail Mix. And what he's done is started a Facebook group for folks to play music live to one another. So he's doing it that way and making set still and providing that to people in our community. So he'll post it on the, the chatters page. We have a a private Facebook group for Sitka and he's shared that with people there and on his Facebook feed. Um, We've also offered because there, we let me roll this back when this all started popping off We offered programmers who were particularly vulnerable to the disease who may feel uncomfortable with coming in anyway because of this. We offered them the chance to step back from their programming. And so it created kind of some natural holes. And so for folks who were like, I really need this therapy. I really want to be on the air. we were like, is it possible for you to come in, say, in the evening to do a program? And you can play whatever you were going to play but at a different time and a lot of people have been cool with that
0: got it do you have any provision now or or in in the plan to uh to have remote broadcasting or to allow maybe programmers to create their broadcast at home if they have the capability with you know uh, record to a computer or something and then upload it to the station
2: yeah, we that will be in phase three when we lock down the station entirely. So okay. we are sending out how to record good vocals on your phone, how to record your set lists and, and where to send it in for us to ingest it into our automation.
3: And again, if I've been listening to you carefully, the phase three would be triggered by the first confirmed case of the COVID-19 virus in Sitka or in your region.
0: It, that's correct. You know, and that's, I mean, you know, certainly, I mean, that's where much of radio is gone now. As As Jennifer mentioned before, it's where we see now television is gone as well. And we're talking about both, I think, some community radio, public radio, as well as, as commercial radio. And, you know, I work in podcasting professionally, and my company has gone almost entirely 100% remote right now, where we're still continuing to produce all the podcasts that we do. Uh, and that's a lot of them, it's many dozens. Uh, but But everybody is working from home. Uh, who, who collaborates there and doing our best to kind of uh, make that continue to work.
3: Mm-hmm. I imagine lots of people Paul are asking Paul Mandel for advice since uh, you were
0: once the f- the only rom- remote uh, worker
1: <laughs> I was not the are. only
0: I was not the only remote <laughs> worker <laughs> the
1: only uh, one in the world
0: But I was one of us of a, of a relatively small group um, yeah, most, yeah. Of your, most of your coworkers worked in, in most uh, of my co-workers in two or three work, offices we' working in one of three offices yeah and certainly and what we've been doing is we spend a lot more time online we have virtual happy hours virtual water cooler schedules on zoom and google meets um, where it's you know drop in and talk and and a lot of it is you know as well you know looking out for yourself and your own health and then also people who who may be in positions of leadership to be sure that they're modeling the behavior. Like you mentioned, uh, Becky, you know that people will be looking to you. And if you're not taking care of yourself as general manager, they may feel that there's a standard they need to live up to. And they too need to, to, to break themselves to, to, to overwork and, and to put in too many hours and to be exhausted. And then it's also your job, to, to look after the folks as well, to make sure that your news director or or other employees are also taking care and, and say, it's okay, take this time off. you know. And it's interesting to me how you mentioned the social distancing, the fact that you can only have two people in the station, you have know, a downstairs and upstairs studio. That means by necessity, somebody's got to cycle out. So it can really be no, I have to take a break because I really can't be in the station. And that's where the work is because I need to let the news director come in and do their work right now.
2: Yeah, we've done as much as we can to build in sustainability within the plan. And uh, I, I, again, think this is going to be a long haul Mm -hmm. effort. And in order to be here for everybody, we need to be sustainable on a personal and operational level. Yeah.
0: I mean, because in community radio and in public radio, I think – So many stations are used to dealing with very little resource, very little, you know, especially money. And they may have volunteer and professional resource, but even so, there always seems to be more to do than there is hours in a day to do. And, and operating at the red line much of the time just in daily existence and when you get this additional pressure from something unanticipated that where it's clear your audience and your constituencies and your communities are depending on you even more it's hard to know how to go from the red line you know, all the way to to the engine blowing apart. Right. And, and, and it really does oh, yeah. take that, take that self-reflection on the part of folks who are in leadership and everyone who's, who's participating and, and as well, it's good to hear that you have this relationship with listeners uh, in, in the Southeast Alaskan area um, where they, they can give you some slack and understand, sh- you know, you're all learning. You're all learning on, on the go here. Nobody knew, nobody knew how to respond to this. A month nope. ago,
2: <laughs> not nobody it had was a plan. Not even... It turns
0: out, even the people who were supposed to have a plan, unfortunately, uh, apparently didn't have a plan. And the, uh, are we starting down that road? <laughs> no, there was a plan. The, road, the plan.
3: Right? But, but, the uh, plan was fired.
0: Yeah. The, but that you know, uh. but but in effect, though, what it means is that we're all we're all learning on the fly, and that we all have to give each other some slack. We all have to give ourselves some slack. And and you know. I'm really pleased that we can continue to produce Radio Survivor, produce uh, this podcast. You know, we've been doing it mostly remotely anyway for, for for five years. Well, and but Paul, I want, I need, I know, I want to, I want to put a tag on to here where we all
3: need to relax and give each other slack. I also think that it is also time to uh to take the mission of uh, public service mm-hmm. community radio yeah. for our communities. Um, to hold ourselves to a higher standard during this time a we need to relax and make sure we turn off the phone and get sleep at night but b there are real people um who are uh especially not you know we've been talking about sitka alaska today with becky myers general manager of raven radio but i know that in my community and other communities around the country um we're uh there's there's a lot of risks right now. And not just risks of um, getting sick and needing to go to the hospital, risks of losing housing, risks of no longer having an income for food and the social safety net being uh, deteriorated. And so I think community radio has a lot um,
0: it needs to do in this day and age. You know, I think we we, we talked about giving slack and part of that, you know, it sounds like it was also you asking your programmers to give slack, right? Mm -hmm. In that, you know, we know this... This show is important to you, right? And being able to come here and do this. But sometimes you have to be able to give that up or be flexible. You mentioned, you know, you gave some programmers who who, who may be more vulnerable, say, well, please don't come in. And and also, I assume what you meant by that is that... um, you will not, this doesn't mean you're giving up your show forever. Rather, we're kind of sort of giving you the ability to go on a hiatus or, or leave. And then, and then say to folks during that day part, when you need to have the limited number of people, you can move into those slots. So asking, you know, to, to give, because sometimes uh, in community radio and anyone who's sticking around with us now and has been in community roads knows that, you know, a time slot, one show as Jennifer mentioned is very important and people can become very emotional and, and feel very threatened when they feel like maybe that will go away, you know, and, and right. I wonder, you know, how do you, how do you foster, how do you foster th- the kind of uh, atmosphere and culture where folks are able to give and take? And are you finding that, that they are, or is it, how, how do you manage that when, when it, when it's a, a tough conversation?
2: Well, I, I think with all things, we we have to approach it with an amount of compassion. So knowing that, you know, I may be making the decision. But the person in front of me may not like this is a huge part of their life or there are other things happening that are really influencing their emotional labor at the moment or what they're they have going on. And so, you know, approaching it with kindness, like we're we're trying to keep you safe. We're trying to keep our community safe by Mm. having this this happen. But no, it's temporary and we have options for you should you need them. Um, so that that's part of it, but also just being clear and knowing that everybody's in a different emotional place, and having room for people to have a reaction because mm-hmm. feelings are real and that makes us totally human and you know i i work on a team so it's me and the program director also in a unified way mm-hmm. having the same message and having the same approach making sure that we're approaching with compassion and letting people know that it's temporary they we've already had some folks who were like yeah i don't know if i'll be doing this anymore and it's okay and we told sure. them that's fine That's been
0: my experience in the past. Is that often sometimes people the the flip side to it is people continue doing it out of obligation, right? Doing a show, being a DJ, being a programmer, and they do it as out of obligation. And maybe you know their heart—you can tell their heart is no longer in it in the same way. But they don't want to give it up because in some ways it's tough to give things up, and they also don't want to let other people down. You know whether it's their the, the program director or listeners or other people at the station. And I guess sometimes maybe that's an out.
2: There's a lot of influence, I think, in, in people having a spot. And I also, you know, I, I think I may have said this a number of times. I've been on the show a few times. But, you know, my philosophy is that, you know, people, folks are on the radio. We're on the radio at the pleasure of the station. So mm-hmm. if if something happens in terms of like this, where we need to have some space in order to ensure the health of our community, then we have the right as the people in charge to say, look, you you can't be on the air or in the building at this moment. It's the same for any sort of, like, you know, expectations around volunteerism and being clear about what those expectations are and, and being forthright with people who may have questions about it or anything. So that, that's that been my, my, my personal philosophical approach to it anyway because who who's doing all the, like, heavy lifting in this? We're all working in this as a community, but, you know... I have to be aware of the staff's health and the health of the people around me and the maintenance of the license and all of the equipment, right. like all of there's that. A, it's complicated. There's a responsibility.
0: It, 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 and, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately in community radio, um, it's easy for an individual staff person or really volunteer to lose touch with the responsibility back to the listenership whether they are listener member sponsors or they're just listeners in the community. And I don't mean just, but, um, you know, and, and effectively in many ways to, to, to a board of directors and, mm-hmm. and to other groups or that you may have ties with in the community. And, and, you know, those ties can run deep and that, uh, sometimes individual a little bit of individual sacrifice is needed uh for for the good and health and you know in everyday operations sometimes that feels less urgent i think than in a time of pandemic and you'd hope that people would be able to to see through uh, clearly clearly to that um, mm-hmm. but um But it sounds like you've been able to and it sounds like you have sort of a tradition there at KCAW in Sitka, Alaska of of inculcating in your volunteers a sense that that they do are serving at at the pleasure of not just the station, but really the pleasure of the community.
2: Yes, that's exactly it.
0: Very cool. You know, and it's it's. You know, be, as someone who's been in and around community radio for for too long, you know, I've seen many <laughs> different sides to this, as as have you, right, mm-hmm. uh, Becky? Because you've been involved in stations, uh, including you know, we met when you were here in in Portland, Oregon, when you worked at uh, KBOO, uh, KBU, the community radio station here, you know, which is a, which is a fifty year old station, you know, and yeah, there, there there could be a lot of history, and there are some folks who've been there nearly since the beginning, and and. Um, where it, it, it can be tough to manage, and it's it's good to hear that you that you that you are, and and, and it, I loved hearing how you mentioned you let people have their feelings. Uh, I think that that's that's a good it's a good point to for anyone who's in a in a, in a community radio
2: management situation. <laughs> we all have them
0: <laughs> to know that. Yeah,
3: I can't let that go by though, Paul, without mentioning that. Fifty year history is also uh something that is celebrated at Kebu in the mm-hmm. last episode where uh the, the be- not the last episode, the penultimate the, be- <laughs> Becky Myers was on Radio Survivor when she first moved to Alaska and took over. Mm-hmm. Although I think we gave you a whole year. Right? <laughs> you give me a Before little break. We, <laughs> we interviewed you, uh to having taken over the new job at Raven Radio. But prior to that, be- the 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 yeah pent ultimate episode i can't use that word on the radio because i'm afraid that uh, a minority of listeners know what it means including me i wouldn't know what pent ultimate means on the fly if listen if i was listening to the radio um you were on to celebrate the 50-year history of kabu and talking about all of the archives and the incredible work that was mm-hmm. going into celebrating the half a century of the hit of community radio in portland oregon and that's mm-hmm. um there's a lot there. So, yes, there's a yin and a yang. There's a good and a bad with all that history. Of and there's and-
2: also an endless dialectic of existence because you can <laughs> yeah. also, yeah, have this super strong tradition, people who have super invested in their time and also have to be agile in your operational reality in order to keep the radio on the air, which should be the number one mission of any community radio station, yeah. is to make radio. And listeners. Yes, and serve listeners.
1: I mean, during the pandemic, the idea of community is front and center for everybody in the world right now. So as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about the communities at the radio station where, you know, there may be people who are more, think of more of their individual show and don't think about their relationship to everyone else at the station. But at, at a time like this, you really have to be thinking about your fellow DJs and show hosts and managers because... The way you treat the station, the way you clean the microphone and the board before and after your show, like that mm-hmm. has a huge right. impact on everybody else. And yeah. you know, so it's not, not just the listener community, but also within the station community.
2: And that that brings up a good point, too, because I'm, I'm sure that there are programmers out there that have been on their discrete community radio station who may have not seen another human <laughs> in, like, decades of yeah. them Other doing, the doing two person uh, okay. before them and after them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and and so this really, uh, this kind of thing it, with the global pandemic, it, I think it brings it to a fore that they are also a part of the community and have to make sacrifices or just work with us in order to make a healthy community possible.
3: Yeah. We didn't talk about, on um, it's good, on the radio show, um, are you doing any work trying to help people, like, set up their... Um, Last week and the week prior when we were talking about COVID-19 on Radio Survivor and Community Radio, um, both, of, both episodes were um, a portion of the program was focused on uh, remote studios and mm. setting up, setting up uh, people's abilities. I was just on a, um, a community call for X-Ray where Radio Survivor airs here in Portland, Oregon, and that was also one of the discussions that took place there in that Zoom meeting of all of these uh, radio producers at X-Ray. Is, um, who's going to produce from home now? So um, is that going on at Raven Radio?
2: Well, first I wanted to ensure that we had our whole day kind of able to operate without input from people because it could, I mean, as we've seen already, things can change on the drop of a dime. Yeah. And so making sure that our operational continuity is yeah. set. Then from there, we can start to teach people and give them the resources to record from home because we we will be offering that. Who knows mm-hmm. how long this is going to be? It could be that the radio station is a hub of technology and everybody sends in their stuff and, and nobody even really touches the building for a little while. Who knows? I want yeah. people to have the option to do that. We do have a very wide range of folks that have access to you know in the internet which is not consistent for all of our programmers some people live on islands off the island that have no utility service whatsoever and right. others just have a different relationship with technology that might make it harder for them to be able to do this so we're giving people the option to do it i know that some stations have made it sort of a requirement like if you if you you need to send in your stuff and i thought that that would be it's just a little too difficult and i think that's yeah. not what we ask people when they walk in the door to become volunteers like right. you you're now a producer you have to do this from afar right. that's not what they signed up for
3: yeah, last week Nathan Moore on the program described basically setting up five individual programmers, which you know now you've picked you've picked uh, you've picked the five winners, but setting up five remote studios um, for those people. So, yeah, but when you got the resources and the um, and that's the specific need. And yeah, there's a that's Virginia Internet,
1: Mm-hmm. That's well, city I'd... Internet. And I'm seeing, just kind of monitoring what other stations are doing, it seems like a lot are sort of doing what you're doing at Raven Radio, where initially, if they can't have programmers in the studio, they might do entirely automation. And now this week, I'm hearing about more stations that are starting to sprinkle in a few remote shows. So I think some, some people are trying to figure that out. And so yeah. they're adding things, like baby steps, um, mm-hmm. because not everybody... Is there yet? So I, yeah, I think having a way to have programming twenty four seven, however you do it, is probably the first step for most stations.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think I've seen that too, and I took heart in that I wasn't being like some kind of horrific autocrat. Like, no more local programming—that wasn't my intention, and I'm glad think that other came folks that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to. You have
0: to. I mean, you have to sort of. You have so much resource. That you can that you can put in at any given time, and you know, keeping that focus on the continuity of service, and especially news, which for you know for Raven Radio is is a, is a linchpin um obligation really yes um which isn't true you know at every college or community station uh because they they're lucky enough to exist in communities that have existing public radio news staffs and and other news resources uh, that are local or hyper local um you know so they have some flexibility there uh perhaps in certain in certain regards
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the time that Alaskan broadcasters shine, you know? All of the public radio stations scattered throughout the state Mm -hmm. are providing the same super-serving aspect to their listening communities and and we always have right we've we've had you know we're the emergency alerts for our areas and places where it's difficult to get the word out especially if you're on the water and so mm-hmm. we're we're we've always provided the service it's just it's just ramped up at this point and has mm-hmm. a, a specific priority around a, a topical and community response piece
3: and we should ask uh listeners at this stage you know um you know, Becky Myers, you at uh, Raven Radio have a unique, uh, you know, a unique relationship with your with your community and your radio station has this uh, role that it plays and that it had that relationship prior to the global pandemic, but it's continuing it in a maybe a more focused way. And uh, it reminds me of um, three weeks ago when we spoke with Brian Edwards-Tekert with, um you know, their the radio station there in Northern California that I have the most uh, familiarity with. Familiarity, um, KPFA has a has a very important role to play as a news and information source there in the Bay Area. Um, I'm you know I'm here to ask listeners like, uh, what is your radio station's role in your community, either the place where you work or uh, the place that you listen to? You can let us know. Uh, podcast at Radio Survivor. We would love to hear from you. We answer every single email we get from real people, so that includes you. And um, let us know. Let us know what's going on in your community these days.
0: Well, thanks again, Becky Myers, general manager of KCAW in Sitka, Alaska, for joining us here on Radio Survivor.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me again.